I will start. I guess I'll get started. Great. Welcome to the October 2nd OA Rise Speaker Meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, I'm a compulsive overeater. My name is Jan, and I'm your host for this meeting. OA Rise stands for Recovery Inspires Shared Experiences, and we are glad that you are all here. <clears throat> As with all OA meetings, OA Rise is run entirely by OA members who are volunteering their time to make this meeting happen. On occasion, there are glitches in online meetings that cannot be anticipated. Please bear in mind that we are doing our best, so we ask that you take any negative reactions to your sponsors. However, we would be happy to hear from you if you would like to provide, to provide us with kind and constructive feedback. Thank you. Would all those who wish please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you. Thanks for unity with diversity policy. As we extend the heart and hand of the OA Fellowship to those who still suffer, let us be mindful of OA's unity with diversity policy, which respects our differences, yet unites us in the solution to our common problem. Whatever problem you may have with food, you are welcome at this meeting. Um, Sherry, would you please read the preamble? Sorry, yes, I would be happy to. Once I find it on my screen again, oh my goodness, it was right here. Oh, I hate when this happens. Okay, here we go. Um, over, this is the preamble for OA. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Thank you. Thanks, Sherry. Um, this is a speaker meeting. At this time, all attendees are muted. The meeting is being recorded so that an audio-only recording can be posted on the oarise.org website. Um, we're hoping to have some Q&As in this session. Uh, if you have a question for the speaker but don't want your voice to be heard on the recording, please send your request to one of the co-I co had coffee and everything, to one of the co-hosts through the chat and we will read your question for you. Here are a few tips for participating in this Zoom meeting. The chat feature is currently turned off and it will remain so until the end of the meeting. You may chat with any of the co-hosts if you need assistance, but please note that the speaker is only listed as a co-host so that she can have ease of access to Zoom features, or they. Um, they will not be able to respond to questions in the chat. So if you have any questions or concerns during the meeting, please ensure you communicate with the co-hosts who do not have speaker in their title. And that's uh, uh, the top row plus Cindy and Audrey on this, well, on my second row. Can you not see my screen? Yes. Um, 
you can change your name as it appears on Zoom. If you're willing, please add your geographical location after your name so we can see where everyone is from. To do this, you click on the participants tab at the bottom or top of your screen, no matter where it is. And the list of attendees will, will open up in the window pane. You can select your own name and click on the tab that says more. It's usually three dots um, next to your name and you can choose rename. And then you just change the name to what you would like to, to have display as. Out of courtesy of the other attendees and the speaker, if you get up and move around during the meeting, if you need to eat, check your phone, talk to somebody in the room with you, please turn off your video feed so that your actions will not be distracting to others. If it is necessary, we may turn off your video feed, but we'll be happy to return it to turn it back on when you're ready. Just send a message in chat to any co-host and they will enable your voice, your voice, your video. Um, please note that specific foods may be mentioned at this meeting. Um, we will be pausing roughly around the first hour just for the recording to stop and start again. And finally, just a reminder that the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Um, could I please have Hope read the 12 steps? Trying to unmute. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, I see. You had to do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My name is Hope. I'm a compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. <clears throat> Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Hope. And Cassie, would you read the 12 traditions, please? Hi, everybody. I'm Cassie, I'm a compulsive eater. These are the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, overeaters anonymous remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 
Dent or Eaters and Novice has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Cassie. According to our seventh tradition, we are self-supporting through our own contributions. We send all contributions contributions in excess of our expenses uh, directly to the World Service Office to help carry the message to other compulsive eaters. Our meeting expenses are a Zoom subscription and the OA Rise website, which includes the cost of extra storage so we can upload the speaker recordings for you. Uh, contributions can be made by PayPal to our email address, info at oarise.org. There's also a contribute now button on oarise.org. Um, a suggested donation of $3 will allow the, these OA Rise speaker meetings to continue. So without further ado, it is our great pleasure to introduce Cindy who will be speaking on spirituality today. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you. I am Cindy, I'm a compulsive eater from Delaware. Uh, the first week in November, so I'm getting close to it, will be my 32nd anniversary here. Um, well, I'm gonna start from the very beginning. I've never had such a long time to speak, so I'm you're gonna get it all this time. Uh, my early life lessons were not good ones. It was not a happy childhood. My early life lessons were that I was a stupid, fat, ugly, worthless piece of shit that didn't deserve anything good. And that's who I was. Um, it was it was the opposite of my sister. We were polar opposites. She was the sun, the moon, the stars, the golden child. I was the black sheep. Um, and it all came from my grandmother because uh, my, my Italian grandmother who had her rightful place as matriarch um, in the home, she, she had moved in with my parents, much to my mother's dismay, into their small apartment building, a uh, small apartment. And um, after a while, my mother couldn't take her anymore and, uh, and gave my father the ultimatum. And... Um, and I was born, and I was the reason that grandma got kicked out of her rightful place as Italian matriarch. And she hated me, of course, for it. And so that's that's what she decided. But then before my memory kicked in, she changed her mind. Uh, my father never got the message. But she, ironically enough, was the soft, happy person in my life. My mother was never meant to have kids. She was just, she, she doesn't have the mother gene. She was supposed to be a very, very successful um, executive. She probably owned Macy's before she died if, if, she, if my father hadn't, whatever. Um, so, so it was a, it was a crappy beginning and, and I did, uh, I did everything that I was, you know, that I was taught. I, I, I did really badly in school. I was born and bred to be a young lady. That was the important thing. So I was well-behaved. I was a sweet child. Adults loved me. The teachers passed me through every grade because they couldn't bear to see me have to, you know, be 
um, kept back. My mother told me once, uh, her, my second grade teacher called her in for a conference and said, she's never gonna get to college. I don't know why we're beating our heads against the, uh, the, the wall. And my mother said, you do your job and I'll do mine. Um, she did her job, I got to college, damn it. And the most proud moment of her life was when I was inducted into the National Honor Society, which means I had a 3.2, I think, GPA. What she never knew, and now you'll know, <laughs> is that I cheated my way to that. Um, because I just, oh, after five and a half years of college, I thought maybe, you know, I should actually get to graduate one of these days. So anyway, um, and I was bullied in, in, you know, in grammar school and in high school, I was bullied because, you know, back then, I always say if I was born 20 years later, it would have been a very, very different story. I was very, very obviously an abused child. I, I, I exhibited all of the behaviors that people now understand as being an abused child. But back then, abused and child never got put together. There was no such thing. Um, so no, so the adults didn't see it, but the kids did. You know, the kids, they could tell that I was different and they bullied me. And I became, never mind isolated. I was an island. I was, I was Alcatraz. I wasn't just an island. You could not get to me. Um, you know, and and how did that happen? I just I just hid from life. I hid from life. Um, wow, I just remembered we had a I grew up in a, in a circle of apartment buildings and we had a beautiful, huge willow tree by the brook. And every spring the people would come and um uh, whatever, chop, you know, the, you know, the, they prune it. That's right. And they'd leave the big branches there for a day. And while those branches were down, I would prop them all up against the tree and make like a teepee and hide in there. That was, you know, like hiding was what I did. And um, hiding, hiding through food was a really good way to do it. Although as a child, I really couldn't because my mother had such an iron fist on me that I um, had a really hard, you know, we didn't have sugar in the house. It wasn't allowed. Um, I remember, I remember one day I had my head in the refrigerator eating whatever I could eat and the phone rang and I picked it up and I hung it up because I didn't want my mother to come into the kitchen to answer the phone. And when I picked it up, uh, you know, I realized that, you know, now she's going to come in anyway. And I hung up and I realized I hung up on my aunt. Um, but, you know, I would sneak, I would sneak it wherever I could, but, you know, there wasn't a lot of good stuff to sneak. I grew up with shame, degradation, humiliation. My father abused me in every way possible, but the worst way was the, was the degradation. I, I, I will never forget the sneer on his lip as he said, I hope you're proud of yourself. And that tore me down harder than anything else could have. But the fear was brought on because the beatings would come out of nowhere. I never had any idea 
when it was going to happen. I'd be sitting at the kitchen table doing math, and the next thing I was up against the wall. And the reason I learned later on was that he is one of us um, and uh, learned to stuff his emotions down. And, and when his perfect little white angel got a little dark stain on it because he heard me raise my voice to my mother or something, he would sit in his chair in his bedroom and stew and stew and stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff until there's a point where you just can't stuff anymore and, and, and Mount Vesuvius explodes. And that's when he would come in. And I remember, I remember even at a very young age, looking in his eyes and knowing he was not there. He wasn't there. My father was not in that body. Some lunatic was. And only, only in the last, I don't know, 20 years have I learned that, that is, that's what a blackout is. Um, that's what an, an alcoholic blackout is. That is what happens when, you know, there's a story in the big book where the woman wakes up in the middle of some strange person's uh, apartment with a cup of tea in her hand and speaking in the middle of a sentence. And a moment ago, she was in, in Manhattan and now she's in Brooklyn. That's what happens when you blackout. You're not there. And he wasn't there. Um, I myself had started those blackouts when I was in college and um, they were not good. They were not good. Um, the last time my father ever laid his hands on me, um, I, 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 someone had planted a seed because I, I complained enough to him that he said, listen, I'm sick and tired of hearing this. You should tell your father you're gonna call the police on him. You should call the police on your parents. They can't do that. It's not legal. Don't be ridiculous. But it planted a seed. And I, I told him, if you touch me again, I'm going to call the police. And that, that lunatic was, was gone and replaced by, I don't know, Lucifer times 10, you know? And he threw me, he picked me up and he threw me through a room into another room. And I ended up on the floor and he ended up on top of me and I blacked out. And when I came to the first thing I realized was my mother wasn't crying his name to stop. She was crying mine. And then I realized that I was on top of him and I was strangling him like Nurse Ratchet in, uh, what was that? Uh, the crazy movie, whatever. I was strangling him. He was going to die. If I, if, I had, if I had come to another minute later, he would have probably been dead. That's what happens in a blackout. That's why I learned it's not a good thing to stuff my emotions down. A P.S., I have to tell you, I'm three quarters Sicilian. So, you know, our pa our passion is your passion times a hundred thousand. You know, you you might get angry, and if I get the same amount of angry, somebody might die. <laughs> anyway, um, as I said, I, I I didn't really I didn't really get fat because even though I thought I was fat, I, I didn't gain that much weight because there was no food in the house to gain that weight. And I remember one of the kids that I hung out with um, would take me into her house and she would bake a, a bundt cake with coffee, mocha, whipped cream inside. And I would eat it before I went home to have dinner. I may not have eaten the whole thing. I might've eaten three quarters of it of a cake before I went home to have dinner. There was 
there was no amount of food that could make me full. It just didn't happen. You know, so I was a typical, I was a typical food addict as I got older and I was able to um, indulge my addiction because I lived alone and I could, you know, go through the coverage, whatever I wanted to do. I did all of the things that, that, you know, we've all heard. I, you know, ate burnt off the floor, in the garbage, frozen, you name it, I did it. And I remember at one meeting, somebody said when she was starting to try to get abstinent, she said, I have to spray, I have to put dishwashing liquid on the food that I throw out. So I make sure I don't go and get it. And I said, oh, I don't have to do that. I just use Windex. So you, you name it, I've been there. Um, this is telling me to reach page 24 and five. So let's see what page 24 and five say. Ah, yes. The fact that most alcoholics for reasons yet obscure have lost the power of choice in drink. Can't do it. At certain times, there's that, that, that strange mental twist that just blocks a piece of my mind that says, you know, don't touch that hot stove, you'll get burnt. You know, don't go into that refrigerator, you're going to do it to yourself again, you're killing yourself. You know, I don't have that. I don't have that with normal people. And so I've really lost the power of choice. At which point, I consider myself a food addict, as opposed to just a compulsive eater, compulsive overeater. Um, we, uh, in, in New York, where I, I spent most of my time, we, we and, and I'm sure it's all over the world, probably, there is a circle, a, a cycle of addiction. And it starts with, you know, it starts if you think about a clock at 12 o'clock, I have a thought or a feeling that I just don't want to have. And there starts the obsession, you know, oh, food, fridge, 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 run to the fridge, you'll feel better, just go to the fridge, fridge you know. And if I can stop that, if I can't, no, if I can pick up a tool one of the nine, any one of them, I can stop that obsession and keep myself from entering that substance into my body. But if I don't do that, eventually that obsession is gonna lead me to put that first bite in. And the moment that happens, and by the way, that obsession, I am not powerless over. I have the power to pick up a tool and stop it. But once I enter that drug into my system, I lose all power. Compulsion, compulsion to eat owns me and I am powerless over it. So, you know, the clock keeps ticking and I'm going to binge. I'm going to binge for however long is my binge. You know, for some people, it's, you know, a, a moment, an hour, two days, a month, whatever it is, I will binge. And eventually, as the clock keeps ticking, I will eventually stop. Then what happens? The regret, the remorse, the degradation, the holy smokes, how did I do that again? You know, how did I end up drinking when I had when I just put a little whiskey in my milk? You know, pounding on the on the table. How did I do that? I swore I wasn't gonna do that. Oh God, oh God, oh God. You terrible person, you monster, you. Um and then comes the, 
you know, I, all right, I'm starting again. I'm going to start on Monday. You know, it may be Tuesday, but I'm going to start on Monday. I'm going to start, I'm going to do it. And, you know, and, and by that time it is now 12 o'clock and I have a thought or a feeling that I don't want to have and fridge, 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 fridge. Um, this disease causes me to forget all of that shit that I suffered around, you know, seven, eight, nine o'clock when I was degraded and remorseful and humiliated and all of those things. It does not exist when I have that thought or that feeling that I don't want to have. All I can hear is fridge, 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 pantry, whatever it is, you know? So, um, oh, and there was something else. <laughs> oh, yes. We had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could. And the other, to expect, accept spiritual help. Well, I wrote in here, it's not two options. It's actually three. Because for me, I had a third option and that was suicide. That's how bad my life was. That's how black my life before OA was. Um, it was not, I, I mean, I wasn't two, 300 pounds. I wasn't, but, but I lived my life every morning I woke up, damn, because I hadn't had the good luck to die in my sleep last night. And when I was in college, something happened one night. This is going to be um, really severe. So grab a hold of your seats. I put a gun in my head and I pulled the trigger but I didn't know about safeties. And that's why I'm here talking to you now. And that came shortly after I had seen a movie, whatever the name was, it was a documentary about people who had died for a moment and come back and the stories they told about. And there was a woman who had committed suicide and it took her to a really bad place, um, very black forest with lots of snakes. And I have a snake phobia. So I thought, oh, <laughs> never, ever, 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 ever kill yourself. And before I knew it, I had a gun in my head and I pulled the trigger. That's how pained I was, that I was willing to go to this place and, and, and have to deal forever with it. <laughs> um, but that was what my life was like. So I married my self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, that stupid, fatically worthless doesn't piece, you know, doesn't deserve anything good. Um, you know, certainly I didn't go looking for a monster. He, he certainly looked like a great guy. Oh, by the way, um, so strangers were back, you know, don't don't ever talk to me. Don't please don't look at me. You know, if you do, I would like to dig a hole into China and cover myself up. Unless you had a motorcycle. Then I was chatty cat. Met every one of my boyfriends, including my ex-husband, because they had a motorcycle. Um, and that's who I married. And he was seemed like a nice guy, but he had the tools that I actually used to turn him into the monster that he became. Um, and our marriage was about, he snapped his fingers and I fell to the floor and trembled and asked him how high I should jump and what do you want me to do? And uh, 21 years, 
the day before our our 21st anniversary, which was like 25 years together, he uh, he left me. I would never, ever, ever have divorced him. I had no idea it was an abusive marriage because, you know, in a way I, I'm learning that I, you know, that I do deserve the good stuff. You know, I'm not that bad person, but how do you treat me that's good? I, 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 I don't know. It's not in my wheelhouse. I, I, it's not in my dictionary. What is good? So I was comfortable with my marriage. I never would have left him. He did me the biggest favor anybody has ever, ever, ever done for me in my life. Maybe except the person that invented Zoom, because this is the biggest silver lining to the biggest black cloud I have ever had. Woof. Anyway, um, so, so I found a way almost 32 years ago. No, lie. I found a way almost 34 years ago. Um, before that, God and I were on the outs in a big way. In high school, I learned all sorts of really bad things about the institution that I was brought up in, the religious institution. And I decided to just tell him to take a hike. And I, I decided to keep one thing that I'd been taught, and that was that he would love me no matter what. Okay, if that's the case, you can love me from inside this shoebox, which I'm going to tie a rope around put it up on a top, at the top shelf of my closet, close the door and never the twain shall meet. I will not darken the door of a church unless it's for a funeral or, or a wedding again. And I came to OA 34 years ago. I heard that three letter word and I could not run fast enough. And I mean, literally out of the meeting that it was in progress. I didn't just you know run out after the meeting. I could not handle hearing that word. A year later, I did the exact same thing. A year later, um, what really got me into OA was that I had a massive, I hope there are no men here. Well, if there are, just close your ears because, or don't be, whatever. I had a massive breast reduction. I had waited all my life. You know, there are women, I've heard stories about women who say when I lose weight, they get smaller. When I gain weight, they don't get any bigger. You know, well, I was the opposite. So with all my yo-yoing, they just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until it was just absolutely, absolutely time. And, uh, and it was the best thing that I had ever done for myself up to that point. And before, um, when I had my first appointment with the, with the surgeon, he, <laughs> he opened my, my little gown. He said, he said, okay, got it. <laughs> then he said, but you have to lose weight first. Because after the surgery, you can't gain or lose in massive quantities or you will ruin my, my, my work. Okay. So I, I lost the weight very smartly. I wasn't going to, you know, starve myself and pass out and not be able to, you know, keep dieting, whatever. I just, I was very smart. I lost the weight. I had the surgery. Yay. And five minutes later, I was back on my way. And I knew, I knew that there was nothing in God's green earth that would ever keep me from becoming a house at that point. That was oh, the first week of November, 32 years ago. And I said that day before I went to the meeting, I said, either, you know, when you get to that meeting, you stay, you accept it, you embrace it, you work this program, 
or you're going home tonight and you're putting the gun in your head and this time you know about safeties. So that was the choice on that first meeting 32 years ago next uh, first Wednesday in November. And it was a very, very tangible thing. You know, I know about safeties, so I can do this. That's how I came into OA. So you don't get a whole lot more in pain. You know, even if I had been 700 pounds, I, I, I don't think I could have been in as much pain. So I came into OA and that first meeting, oh my God, that first meeting, I cried through the whole thing. The person that spoke, spoke my entire story. I mean, she didn't miss dotting an I or crossing a T. The exact same story. Um, and she became my sponsor. And that night, um, I went home and I had, I had that spiritual experience. They talk about rarely happening in the back of the, in the appendix, in, in appendix two, they say, you know, when people came in, they, they thought that this experience, this spiritual awakening was supposed to be some, ah, you know, kind of moment where the skies open up and yada, yada. And we know it doesn't happen very, you know, it's very rare. Well, guess who it happened to? Because that night I was brushing my teeth and the first thing that was weird was that I was looking at myself in the mirror, which I never looked at myself in the mirror. And the next thing that happened was I knew, I knew, I didn't see him. I did not hallucinate. He was not in my mirror, but I knew that he was standing right there behind my right shoulder, not over here, not over there. He was right behind my, and he said to me, you know, everything you learned about me, get rid of it, gone. And I, and I thought of a big, uh, you know, when you're in a big meeting and, and um, they, they have a big easel and a big, huge pad and, you know, Sharpies to write down stuff. He said, tear that sheet off. Blank sheet, start over. What do you need me to be? And I said, well, that's really easy. I just need you to be everything that's good and nothing but good. Okay, that's me. And P.S., I love you. 29 years in a way it took for me to be able to get those three words out without it getting caught in my, in my throat. Because no one was supposed to love me. No one should love me. I was the worst person in the world. There was no monster. There was no serial killer, rapist, murderer, whatever, that wasn't better than I. And here is God telling me he loved me. You know, who, who am I to argue with, you know, hello? <laughs> so if, God love me, then I should be worthy of whatever little pea-sized, you know, love I might drum up for myself. By that time, he was gone. And I asked the next question, how do I love myself? Because I didn't know. And the answer came in my own voice, because like I said, he was gone at that point. It said, give yourself this program. And that's what I did. I put, I had just learned how to use a computer and, um, I made, I, I loved playing with the fonts. So I made like the smallest font in the world. So I made a, a piece of paper that was the size of a fortune in a fortune cookie that had like three sentences on it. You are worthy of the good stuff. Um, I, I don't remember the second one, but the third one was don't take your mother's shit. <laughs> I remember that. And I stuck that in my mirror and Every time I, I, I saw that mirror, I said those things to myself and it took years. It took years for me to actually say those things to myself without wanting to vomit 
because it was just so not me. So that whole act as if thing, guess what? It works. It may take a while, you know, depending upon the amount of your PTSD or how ingrained a, a belief is, but it works. Um, and I gave myself this program. I immersed myself in this program. Uh, you know, if my sponsor told me to eat a cup of dirt a day, I would have eaten a cup of dirt a day. And I remember we, we had just bought a, uh, our first house, which was really tiny. And I remember on a Saturday morning, my ex would get up and he'd find me on the, on the couch with my journal and my pen in a puddle because I had been writing, you know, everything I was supposed to write and crying, and crying, crying, crying. I envisioned, this is, I'm a visual person. And this is what I envisioned for, 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 my, for working a program. A really big, tall, rock stone wall that was slimy that did not want me climbing it was slimy it had sharp jutting out things but if i could climb that wall you know getting past all of the things that were trying to stop me and look get to the top i would look over the other side and i'd see the garden of eden with all of the you know pretty flowers and the fluffy critters and that's where i would get to live and so nothing, 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 no slime, no, no sharp, nothing, no team of wild horses was going to stop me from, you know, getting to the top of that wall. And so I went through my steps. And I'll never forget that first fifth step that I gave to my sponsor. I was so scared. I was so scared that she was going to look at me like those looks that I had gotten as a kid, those looks of horror and disgust and you monster you how could you do that either that or she was going to spontaneously combust one or the other <laughs> she didn't do either one of them she took every one of them saying okay yeah what else you got she now comes i see her now in in my zoom meetings um it, it's been decades and uh we talked when i first saw her again and she said you know something you were my first sponsee and that fifth step was I said, you did a really good job of hiding it <laughs> because, you know, that's what we do. We love each other. You know, whether or not we love each other, we love each other, damn it. And that is the face of OA. The face of OA, people who have been right where I have been, have done the same things, have felt the same way. I did not think anybody could feel the same things that I had felt. But yes, you were there and you love me love me, love me. So, you know, that principle, principle, not the tool of anonymity says you walk through those metaphorical doors and you become equal to everyone in the room. Nobody, nobody is better or worse than I am. And that means nobody gets to judge me. Holy shit, what a miracle. What a miracle. And here's the next miracle. Okay, I know we're all human and thus we don't have the perfect contract. So there, there will be people every once in a while in my life that will judge me. Guess what? That's your problem. Ah! <laughs> That's crazy. It's not my problem. It's not my problem. It's yours. And I know that occasionally in you know all these decades, I have judged people too. And I do my best to keep it to myself and ask higher power to remove that character defect because that's exactly what it is. Who am I to judge anybody? Oh, who am I to judge anybody? Really? No different than you to judge anybody. Everybody is doesn't get that. 
And anybody wants to, that's gets your that's your baggage. That's what is going to keep you down. I don't have to worry about it. That was just crazy. And um, one of the lessons that I got in Don't Judge a Book by Its Cover was when I first moved down here to Delaware, um, the first meeting I went to, um, a woman spoke and she spoke a great story. She, you know, she had it all. She had the talk, right? But she was obviously humongous. And I thought, who is she? Who is she to be, you know, spewing this great recovery stuff? She's now my best friend. I found out who she was. She's a person that had lost 400 pounds already because she was 750 at her top. That's why I don't judge anybody. Well, that's why that was the that was the you know the the ceiling lesson and don't judge people because you know what I'm doing when you know it, it's it's comparing myself I'm better than you I'm worse than you you know when I compare myself to you I'm always going to end up with on the on the short end of the stick because what am I doing I'm comparing my insides to your outsides I don't know what your insides look like you know my sister take my sister you know that perfect woman who's by the way I'm a millionaire now. Uh, and I'm a, I'm an, I live on food stamps and Medicaid. Um, and to look at her, she has the life. She's, she's got the life. But what anybody else doesn't know that I know is that she had a daughter one day. And the next day she didn't because her daughter blew her brains out. Almost in front of her. And she carries that with her pretty much every day of her life. So I don't want to think about what other people have. I don't want to think about it because you may have a million dollars and you may have the most tortured life in your, in, in, you know, it, it, ever known. I don't, I don't need to think about anybody else. I need to think about me. You know, it, it talks about change, you know, the spiritual awakening is changing our attitude. Uh, you know, the, the, the famous story um, that is not Dr. Bob's story on 417. Um, it is Dr. Paul O's story, I found out, I learned. But the magic magnifying glasses, you know, what I focus on increases. And, um, you know, so if I'm going to focus on the problem, the problem's going to increase. If I focus on the solution, that's what's going to increase. But when I am looking at somebody else and judging them, um, who am I hurting? Am I hurting them? Uh-uh, they have no idea. I'm hurting me. I'm developing resentments for whatever reason. And you know what resentments are? Re resentments are a relapse waiting to happen. That's all they are. They are taking up space in my head rent-free. That's why... I need to do a four step and a 10 step to get all that garbage out of my head, you know? And that's why when we do a four step, we don't take other people's inventory. Well, I did that to him because, you know, like I, I rebelled, you know, to my parents because they were beating the shit out of me. Well, you know what? That doesn't help me. Doesn't help them. Doesn't hurt them, but it doesn't help me. What is my side of the street? What is my side of the street? I need to clean that up. Their side, I don't care about. They can have it as dirty as they want. That's their problem. But it's my side of the street that I have to clean. Um, and when I do that, you know, the, the shinier it gets, the more happy, joyous freedom I get. So in the chat, you will see my contact info 
and it starts with HJF. Anybody want to tell me what that it stands for? Anybody? I have found amazingly, no matter how much, how many people are in a room, there might be a thousand years of recovery, and nobody can tell me that it's happy, joyous, and free. That's the life I live now. Um, and it's in my email address because when I forget it, because I do, I, I, I have a reminder that I just have to choose to turn back to my higher power because it was me that turned around and went from this to this. It's the fear that makes me do this. Whatever it is, for me, it's the fear that makes me do this. And, and that doesn't allow you know, my higher power in. It doesn't allow the sunlight of that spirit in. And the name of my game is to notice as soon as possible when I start feeling crappy. Because that tells me that I've turned around and stopped doing this and went to this. And all I have to do, so simple, so very simple, choose to turn back around. Ah. You know, they say simple, not easy. Uh, 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 uh. We never promised you a rose garden ah. or easy, but simple. Yes. Make the choice to be happy. Do I want to be happy or do I want to be right? Or do I want to, you know, stay in my poopy diapers as I've heard many people say. Um, and sometimes I can't make that choice right away. Sometimes I hold on to that self-will run riot. But I know that the longer I do that, you know, as I do that, this, this, this wall starts building up between me and my higher power and the sunlight, you know, and I, literally for me, the sunlight, you know, because remember, I described my whole life before this as black. I don't want to live in that black space. I don't, I'm never going back there. I'm never going back there. I don't care how much I relapse. If I get to be 400 pounds, I don't care. I am never leaving this program. I have a, a seat here. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. And I will desire that until they bury me. And so I have a seat here. I don't have to be ashamed if I relapsed. You know, I, I was actually, um, I had had so, I, I, I hadn't, um, noted the date of my abstinence the last time and I lost track. And, you know, people, you know, when, when, when you had to state how long your abstinence was, I wouldn't know what to say. I don't know, six years, eight years, something, you know, a long time I, I have abstinence, but I didn't know what it was. And then one day I lost my abstinence and I was ashamed that shame. That's just so quick. It is such a great tool of my disease. Um, you know, you know how I, I, I don't know, some of you may have heard this, the, the saying that our family is the best at pushing our buttons because they installed them, right? My disease knows every button to push because it is me. It's, it's me. It's been me for the past 65 years. So it knows every raw nerve ending, every um, ingrained belief, because that stupid, fatally worthless piece of shit that doesn't serve anything good is still me. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a new person. I'm not a robot. I didn't change bodies. I didn't change minds. It will always be there. 
just like my disease. I will never be cured of either, but I can live in recovery, happy, joyous, and free for the rest of my life, as long as I maintain that fit spiritual condition, as long as I make the right choices. So for me, as I said, becoming aware of not feeling right as soon as possible. So what do I do? What do I do to not get to that, to that stage? How do I ensure that I live happy, joyous, and free? Well, coming from a place where I couldn't do anything right. You know, I think that that was one of the gifts that I had. Um, you know, I think it's step one, I guess, when we admit we were powerless over food, that our lives have become unmanageable, it says, you know, some people kind of want to beg to differ with that. You know, I have a good family, I have a good career, blah, 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 right? I never begged to differ with that. My life was miserable. There was nothing manageable about it. You know, the re step two, restore us to sanity. No, that's what I beg to differ because I never had any to begin with. So restoring, <laughs> giving me, giving me, you know, for the first time ever, yay. You know, like I spent 35 years blind and now I can see, Wah! you know, it's the same kind of thing. Um, so how do I keep it? I do my best every day, not just in the morning when I wake up and I say my prayers, not just at night when I do my, you know, 10 step, whatever. But all day long, I do my best to maintain the, the, the closest conscious contact with my higher power that I can. How do I do that? Um, generally, it's gratitude. Gratitude goes a really long way, really, really long way. Uh, gratitude for what? Well, let's see, I go outside and I work in my garden and I hear the birds chirping and I see my neighbor's pretty flowers. and. Whatever. Oh, hell, when I'm on a motorcycle, especially in like New Hampshire, um, I, I, I've been to, to bike week in New Hampshire about 35 years now, 35 times. And I always called New Hampshire the place where God lives, because for me, it is the least evidence of man's hand. And when you're riding through the streets of, my, of New Hampshire, it is so little evidence of man's hand. Every once in a while, you'll see a driveway. You won't even see the house because the driveway is so long through the woods, you know. It's, it's the road, the bike, and me. And the rest is God. And, you know, I always considered going to Bike Week every June, my spiritual regeneration. Then I took my last married vacation to Montana. I got off the plane and I said, uh-oh, God has a really big house. That was probably just as living. <laughs> but wherever I can notice it, it's, you know, it's God. The pretty flowers, the whatever it is. Whatever that makes me happy. Hell, getting on my bike. By the way, his name is Spike. So if I talk about Spike, you know who I'm talking about. Um, and when I am grateful, when I notice my gratitude, when I say, oh, look at the pretty flowers. Thank you, God. And I say, thank you, God, all the time. All the time. There it is. That's my conscious contact with my higher power. Um, there is a piece, let's see, what is it? 
page 28. There's a piece that said, and somebody uh, that, well, okay, I'll, I'm going to tell you what seemed at first the flimsy read, a flimsy read, I am hanging on with the tips of my fingernails, proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. Okay, so now I'm going to tell you about um, 06. 06 was the year that my ex moved me out of a home that I loved. I lived in the country in um, upper, very upper. Uh, no, actually we were in Putnam County at the time. Um, but I lived in the, I lived in the country. I lived on a road that had like five or six houses and, and I was on the cul-de-sac. So I had woods around me. I had the neighbor across the street. I could see in the winter when the trees were bare and the neighbor next to me didn't have any windows. Hell, I could run around naked the whole, my whole house and never have a problem. Uh, and I loved it there. Uh, you know, I loved having Bambi and Thumper as my neighbors. And boy, did I have them. Um, my ex worked, works in Manhattan. And living there, it was a two hour commute each way. And he got tired of it. He needed a geographical cure, but I don't have to take his inventory. Um, and he moved us to Ossining, which is um, a nice area. But for me, this country mouse um, considered I might as well be moving to Manhattan. And I, I was not happy, not happy, but you know, he had snapped his fingers and I said, okay, let's go. Um, and we moved in early of 06, like January, in um, one of the M months, I can never remember, March or May, I had a partial hysterectomy. And um, to, get, to get well, to get strong, so I could go back to work, I started walking. Remember how I said I never spoke to strangers? I'm telling you, you know, by that time I was, uh, 40 whatever years. And I said, in all of those years, how long, how many hours have I spent on like a, a line at a checkout line at a stupid market or whatever? I never, ever, ever spoke to anybody. If you ask me a question and you could get a one word answer, that's what you got. That was it. I started walking and I'm talking to people just because they're standing in the driveway. They're like, who did that? I don't know who that is, but I like her. Then he left in, or he said he was leaving in June and he left in July. That was a really crappy month. And in September, I had a bicycle, bicycle, no motor, you know, the legs with a motor accident that, uh, you know, makes me laugh all the time because when I tell people I am a, a motorcyclist, a biker, they, you know, and they say, oh, my, that's so scary. I mean, that's so dangerous. And I say, yeah, I do remember ending up in ICU for two and a half days that I have no memory of and being out of work for five weeks from a bicycle accident. Um, and that's what happened in September. I, um, my, my friend was teaching me the roads that I could ride on the bicycle. And I had, I had an accident and it was bad. It wasn't bad enough to break pieces of me, except in my head, I had a very bad concussion. I remember she said, um, she was ahead and she heard me yell. So she came back and there was a guy in the house. He was working outside of his house right there. And they both were calling 911 faster than, they didn't care who was doing it first because 
they didn't know that I was going to be alive when the, you know, by the time the ambulance got there. And my friend says, I, I thought you had lost your nose because I couldn't see it in the pool of blood. Evidently head, head wounds do a lot of bleeding, but I had a really bad concussion. And I woke up two and a half, you know, like one minute I was at the top of a hill and the next minute it was, it, that was Sunday morning. The next minute it was Tuesday afternoon and I, and I was getting dressed and somebody was taking me home. Got no memory except for one split second, but I don't have to go into that. Um, and then I was out of work for five weeks. Now I should back up first. That was in September. In, in June, he said he was leaving. In July, he left. Um, and shortly after he left, he emptied our bank account and stopped paying the bills. And he had moved us from a house to a house that had almost triple the mortgage that we had in the country. And he made 70% of our income. One week after he emptied, one week, seven days after he emptied the bank account, I got a, what happens when you sue people and you win? Um, I got money um, from a slip and fall accident I had had two years earlier, two years earlier. If it had come seven days earlier, he would have gotten that. That, that. Um, money paid my mortgage for the next three months. Um, <clears throat> at that time, I it made me think about, it made me realize that God has put me in the right place at the right time for the right thing to happen all my life. And I didn't even ask. I, like, I, we weren't even friends. You know, imagine what can happen if I try and work with them. Um, so then September came along and oh, by the way, so right after he left, we of course put our brand new house on the market and, uh, we got a buyer pretty quickly and, um, I think it was November that we were supposed to close and the day of the closing, the deal fell through because that was the year, that was when the banks were all being um, chastised for having taken on subprime buyers and, you know, gone into, you know, and the government had to bail them out and stuff. But because uh, we were supposed to close that day, I had a new place to live. And it was, uh, I thought, it, <laughs> I thought that God had orchestrated it. it. There was a woman in my bicycle club that my friends knew who was in a very bad place. Her husband was dying of ALS. And um, long story short, she was not gonna live in that house that they lived in after he died. And she had bought herself a place in the country, a very nice hundred year old house with another, you know, the caretaker's house on the property. And it was a beautiful piece of property. And she bought it before he died, obviously, because she was gonna move right in, um, but she isn't gonna move in now. So she needed, what she really needed was a caretaker. She should have been paying me to live there. Um, but I paid her a ridiculously small amount of money to live in that house. And now that I can't live in that house because I can't get out of uh, you know, my recliner for five weeks, um, I, I kept 
paying the rent because I didn't want to lose that. I knew there was nowhere else that I was going to be able to go that I would have such little rent, never mind a really nice, beautiful old mansion, you know, 100 year old mansion. Um, so for a while, I was paying rent and mortgage. Um, that was fun. That was a really fun period. That period, there was a period of nine months. You know, he left me, he stopped paying the bills. I had the bicycle accident. Um, and when he left, you know, his cousin who lived in Manhattan, who we had played with on occasion, she called me when she found out and she said, I, let me tell you, let me give you the benefit of my experience because I've seen it happen so many times. When it is time to leave your spouse, you have to get mad because if you are not mad, you it hurts too much. It just hurts too much. I mean, I'd lived with him for 25 years and he got mad. And even though the reason he was leaving was his problem, he has to go find his happiness. That's what I kept telling him. Um, but um, but that was just a lie to get me to leave, to go away quietly. And P.S., why did he leave me? Because in a way, I had learned that I am not that dish rag. I am not that mouse. I do not have to, when he does this, I don't have to you know, fall to the floor, ask how high I should jump. Um, and he didn't like that anymore. I get it. You know, he had spent 25 years with somebody who, you know, he could walk all over and, you know, would do anything he told me to do and be happy. We were best friends. We were best friends. We just hadn't had sex in 18 years. Much at all. Um, so, um, so he, he went out with a bang saying that he went out with a bang is like a gross understatement. He did everything he could think of to hurt me. He did everything bad. He did everything bad. Like, like he turned off my cell phone because that was on his account. He tried to turn off my um, my home phone and my electricity, but both of them have to um, call you before they turn they you know they they actually turn it off. So I was saved from from both of those on the last day before they turned them off and was able to get that reconnected. And here I am. I'm paying rent and mortgage, <laughs> which was almost three times the mortgage was almost three times what we had been paying. I made thirty percent of our income. <laughs> it was a great time, let me tell you. Um, having had the accident, having not been able to get out of a recliner, I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I slept in the recliner because I couldn't kick the stairs to get to my bed. That's. I was bad. I was bad. But that was another one of those things that God put me in the right place at the right time for the right thing to happen. Because if He had not moved me, kicking and screaming down to Ossining, you know, Manhattan. Oh my God! It was you know like Ossining is still far away to to Manhattan. Um, I would not have had 95% of our friends living in my town with me and the rest of them were living farther south so that I could have not have picked up the phone to any one of five parties and had somebody there in five minutes. Like when my garage door wouldn't open. What do I know about a garage door? Help, Larry. Okay, he'll be there in five minutes, you know. And when I had the accident, here's a good one. Here's a good one. I love the stories about how much God loves me because that's the stuff that keeps my faith strong so that I remember to turn my will and my life over to him when I need to, right? And by the way, I call him God because 
it, I don't know what to say when I, my, my higher power is way too ethereal. It's not, a, you know, it's, a, it's, it's not describable. It's just easier to call him God. Okay, fine. So I had that bicycle accident on September 10th, September 10th. My sister lived in Illinois and she had wanted my mother to come visit her. Um, and the only way that she was going to get her to visit was to come here and get her on the plane with her, you know, get on the plane with her. And so she came out on the 10th and they were going back on the 11th, as in September 11th. Oh, by the way, it just so happened very coincidentally that my father died on 9-11. Oh, what? Yeah. We thought it was very strange until we realized it was a very bad, 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 bad day because for the next rest of her life, she couldn't help but for, you know, she, there was no way she was going to forget. You know, you remember the years, the decades after 9-11 that, you know, the media was start three months in advance. Well, that was the day my father died. Um, so they were going to get on the plane on the 11th. I had the accident on the 10th. So my mother is half Greek and she's always been more proud of her Greek side. Um, I call myself Greek and Italian. I'm three quarters of Italian, but I call myself Greek and Italian. And so Pam had found, my sister had found a Greek um, um, what happens? festival, a Greek festival in the next town over. And that's where they went on the 10th. And she gets into town and she has to drop mom off because there's no handicapped parking. My mother is now, you know, like, you know, 80 something or other, 90 something, no, 80 something. And, um, and she goes off to find a parking space while my mother, a very sweet lady, finds a policeman and starts giving him holy hell because what's the matter with you people? You don't have any handicapped parking. <laughs> Pam parks, she finds a parking space. She gets out of the car and she gets a call from my cousin saying, I'm in the hospital. So she gets back in the car and she goes and picks mom up and goes to the hospital takes her to the hospital. Now, my mother at this point is still driving. She drives into Bronxville, which is half a mile away from home. And uh, a town in which if you are doing 30 miles an hour, you are freaking Mario Andretti. So, you know, the, the 15 miles an hour that she drives is probably not going to kill anybody, but we were very nervous by that time. But anyway, she could not have driven, she would not have driven to the hospital that was a few towns away. And she would have gone crazy trying to figure out how to get to me so she could take care of me while I was in the hospital. But no, she was whisked away the next day. And she would have been even crazier if when they got to the hospital, they hadn't seen this. All of my friends in the waiting room huddled, trying to figure out, trying to decide who was going to take me home, who was going to feed the cat, who was going to make me meals when I got home. Who was going to do this? And they, they, they like they had no idea that I had such good friends, but she saw that I would be taken care of from this moment, and she could be whisked away to Illinois, being able to breathe, knowing that I was going to be taken care of. Hello, hello. <laughs> Pam put her on a plane um, to go home, and then I picked her up, and I got her home from the airport and she sat down in her chair and I said, you may thank me now. She said, for what? I said, did you think about that for a second on 
Um, no. <laughs> it just, you know, I have, I, I go out of my way to find those stories of how much God loves me. You know, like all those times when metaphorically I was driving and the direction said turn right, but I accidentally turned left. Uh, accidentally, coincidentally, I don't think so. We call it God incidentally, you know, because on the left is where I found, you know, the Garden of Eden, whatever. Those times when I do something, when something happens that I could never have orchestrated myself, but is just one. There was um there was a, a, a World Service Convention, I think it was 1993, um, in in Manhattan. And on on the fourth of July weekend, we they had they had um rented two big huge party boats to take us down to where the fireworks were. And when I got there, I was, I found out I was on boat A. Um, and then I ran into some friends that I hadn't seen in years and they were on boat B. So I wangled myself away onto boat B instead of boat A. Well, boat A had a party, a midnight party booked. So they made sure to stay way behind so that they could get back and get us off the boat soon enough to be able to clean up and get ready for this midnight cruise. Boat B did not have we were up front and under the fireworks. And it was a big year. It, I don't know why, I think it was 93, but it was a big, big year, big year. Um, the fireworks were so, oh my, and for Manhattan, you know, like Manhattan already has great fireworks. There were four sets of the same fireworks happening. They, 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 they tuned them in happen at this they synchronize them perfectly four sets of oh my god fireworks we yelled so loud we yelled so loud that it wasn't until we all started losing our air and couldn't yell anymore that we realized that all the uh, skate 8,000 boats in the area were blowing their boat horns you know how loud a boat horn is we were yelling louder than all of those boats blowing their boat horn it was fantastic fantastic and when we got back we were telling you know the people on boat a you have no idea what you oh no it was very lovely it was wonderful no you have no idea no idea no idea i was on that boat that would have missed that out but god got me onto the next boat that just gave me a life a life a top life memory and laryngitis <laughs> and in that can just convention... can we just pause for two secs to let um audrey stop and start the recording sorry to cut okay. you off there cindy Excellent. Take it away. Okay. In that convention, you know, if you've gone to conventions, you know that when you get there and you register, they give you the, the it's not a menu. Ah, do we think of food? No. Um, you know, the, the, the list of, you know, the paper that has all of the workshops when they are, and, you know, you, you get into your hotel room and you check off which ones you want to go to. This is the one you circle them. And there was one workshop that I thought that I needed to go to because I thought that they would give me pearls of wisdom. I had recently um, had my stolen engagement ring replaced um, by a diamond and ruby ring that we worked on um, to have made that was the, you know, cat's meow for me. And I remember um, I, I was late to that workshop and I don't do late. I'm not good at late. 
you know, if I'm not early, I'm late. Um, and so I went to the workshop next door, which I wouldn't have been late for. And I remember somewhere out there, there is a CD that has me on it saying, I went, I wanted to go to this workshop that I thought had pearls of wisdom for me, but I ended up over here instead that had diamonds and rubies. I didn't do that. I wanted to go to the other place, but somehow I managed to get over to the other one, which is where I really needed to be to hear whatever it was that I heard that day. Those are the kind of things that I remember. So here I was uh, back in September after the accident and really being completely, completely helpless. Um, like I said, they brought me food. I pretty much did not leave my, I, I was able to get to the bathroom on that floor, luckily, um, but I, I couldn't go upstairs to get to my bed for five weeks. Um, and I visualized at that time, I visualized higher power this time, he was a guy, very tall guy, not wearing white robes, but wearing a Bella Lugosi. Remember Bella Lugosi, the vampire movies? Cape, big black cape. And he um, folded his arms and I climbed right in here and he drew his cape over me and I lay protected, didn't have to do anything. He was gonna take care of me. That's where I, that's where I spent five weeks. And every morning when I woke up, I said to him, God, this is all I ask of you today. If you could just, let's see if I can reconstruct this. See, feel, think, eat, sleep, breathe, act, and speak for me. You're off the clock after that. Just, just if you could just do that for me. Because I, I couldn't do any of those things pretty much. That was when my faith grew. That was when my faith really, really started um, building you know, when I had, I spent five weeks with nothing but time on my hands. Um, you know, there's just so much TV you could watch. Time to think, time to think program, time to work program, time to realize what God has done for me. You know, how that flimsy read, because there was nine months of, I thought I was hanging on by the skin of my teeth. Um, oh yeah, by the way, um, my ex fought, fought to keep the money from the proceeds of the sale of the house from me for as long as he could, because he knew that I was buying another house. So he did everything he could to, to delay it. Um, so there I was, um, needing to get out of my landlady who, oh my God, it was terrible. Um, and now her husband had died and she's trying to kick me out and I don't have a place yet. So it was, oh, it was, it was just, it was nine months of holy hell. Everything, not, not just everything that could go wrong did go wrong, but it, it blew up every one of them. Tragedies, people would think. People would think, you know, I fell off my bike. I, I, I spent five weeks with a concussion. I remember asking my best friend, the same questions every day. And she'd look at me and she'd say, you don't remember um, asking me that yesterday? And I said, no, what, what, what did you say, you know? Um, I had no memory at all, zip. 
and the, and the doctor had said, you know, this can go on for a year. It could take a year. year to, you know. And then as a year was approaching, I thought, oh, what's my, my excuse going to be now? Because it wasn't getting much better. And I still have a memory like a sieve. Um, but um, but it was all bad, you know, bad thing. So now I, I have bought my house that I thought I was going to die in. This is it. I'm going to live here until the day they're burying me. I, I, this is my home. Okay, great. Had a life like. Then 08, 08 happened. And we know what happened in 08. The bubble burst. I had um, been seven years in a job. Um, I was a bookkeeper. Uh, actually, I was working um, at that point. I was working in, the, in, in a different department. But um. So now I'm out for five weeks. <laughs> and I remember, I remember one time coming into work because my chauffeur of the day that was taking me to an MRI, I asked her to stop so I could pick up that last paycheck that I hadn't gotten. And as I walked into the place, everybody's faces fell because I looked so terrible. Evidently the head wound was really bad. Shortly before my accident, a very, very beloved member of my bicycle club had had basically the same accident, except she wasn't quite as lucky. She became a paraplegic, or is a quadriplegic, the worst kind. She did nothing but um, she could speak, she could blink, and she could not breathe for herself. And people were horrified when they saw me, and my mantra was, oh, I'm okay, I'm not a quadriplegic, quadriplegic, whatever. Uh, and that's what I, I just, it was my mantra. I'm fine. I'm, I'm great. I'm not a quadriplegic. Okay. But people that would run into me after a while in those days, you know, they'd say, how are you doing? And I would say, you know, first, let me tell you that I'm wonderful, terrific, and marvelous. Now keep that in mind as I tell you. <laughs> and I'd start going through that, you know, from when my ex left me and yada, yada, yada. And their faces would start dropping. And then the, oh, I'm so sorry would start coming out, but I would stop them. Hello, do I look like you should be sorry for me? I was happy as a pig and shit. I started flying. Even if I was in uh, my, my recliner for five weeks and couldn't walk, I started flying the day he left me. I really did. Um, and I, I, like I could, there was nothing. There was nothing. Gratitude goes so far. It goes so far. And that's all I had in those days. I had gratitude. Thank you, God, for delivering me from a life of hell that I didn't even realize was hell. Um, okay, so <clears throat> not time to stop the meeting for a break yet, huh? <laughs> so um, page 28, what is page 28? Oh, that's just the flimsy read, okay. So I learned that I am powerful. I learned I am powerful. As a matter of fact, I have a little button. Don't ask me where it came from. It's on my kitchen window. I look at it every time I'm at my sink. You are powerful. Yes, I am. I'm not sure. You know, I had spent my whole life being nothing but a puddle on the floor. My sister and my mother, I called them, I called my mother a still because nothing, nothing faced her. Nothing. I remember when I was young, she got sick. She was sick for a couple, she was in bed for like a couple of days. And I remember asking my father very fearfully, is she gonna die? I was like, no, because she had like the flu or something. You know? 
no, she's not going to die. Don't be ridiculous. But I, I mean, like, I've never seen her sick. I do sick. My mother, no, that doesn't happen. I called her a steel bull. What I realized, and my sister got those genes. What I realized is not that they are that strong and I am, you know, a puddle, but they are, as a therapist said to me, the epitome of the first sentence or part of the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. And in both of their minds, if I can't change it, it doesn't exist. I am here to tell you, without being overly dramatic, that I know there are days when my sister does not remember having a baby. That's how strong denial can be. Here's another good one. Uh, in my later years, as I was talking to my mother, we never, we, like you couldn't talk negative. You couldn't, you, like you could not, you just couldn't. You couldn't air dirty laundry in my family. You know, so when it came to making amends, it had to be living amends. I could not go and say, you know, I'm so sorry that I did this. What do you mean you did this? Don't be ridiculous. You must be crazy, you know. And that's what I, you know, that's what I was when I was complaining about the, the treatment that I got. You know, you, you, you're nuts, you know. And, the, my, the, you know, everybody in my life, except one family, um, would think I was crazy when I complained about my parents because they were like the most awesome couple in the world, right? This one family um, lived in our apartment building and they heard it and they knew it happened and they validated me, which was just wonderful. Thank you, God. And they are my happy family. We, we spent, they, they, they ended up um, living in Maryland um, in the summers in Ocean City because his wicked stepfather had owned half of it and he managed, you know, one of the biggest restaurants in Ocean City and we spent a lot of our summers going down there. We'd stay for a week or two and they were, we were best family friends and that is my happy place. And now I live, I, I was just there last weekend. I was in Ocean City last weekend, <laughs> you know? Um, so anyway, not being able to discuss character defects or ills that I had, you know, done to them, whatever, um, I had to make a living amends, you know, the, the, which is what you kind of do after the apology. Because an amends is not just an apology. I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I said this. I'm sorry I kicked you. I'm sorry I felt whatever it was. That's not an amends. That's just an apology. An amends is the apology followed up by changing my, my attitude, changing my actions, not doing the same thing again. That's my amends. So I had to make that living amends where I didn't start with the apology. I just changed my behavior towards them. And, um, okay, where did I go? My father, you know, there's a piece of the big book that says it, it's the, it's, it's one of the resentment prayers. And it says, you know, do this, pray for everything you want for yourself, for them, and you'll be free. You know, do this every day for two weeks and you'll be free. Well, I beg to differ. Two weeks may not be quite enough time for my father. It was two years, but it happened. It happened. And then my father is one of us. Of course, he stayed fairly fit 
when he was working because he had a very physical job. Um, but then he retired. Ah, yes, he retired. We we had a uh, they had a um, they they reproduced antiques um, and sold them wholesale. My mother, who was a brilliant interior decorator, thought up great finishes to put on these pieces. And she'd say, make a strip pine finish. And he was an artist and made a strip pine finish. And then they start selling 7,000 of them, et cetera. That was their job. Um, but he did not think that that was um, a good enough thing. Or being an artist, he didn't even consider himself, you know, like a, an, a, an artist. So he really wanted, he, he wanted to have a part in the business part. My mother, the businesswoman, had had she been left alone to run the business part of it, deal with people, um, I, I used to say, I, I would have to, if I wanted to find my parents, I would be calling their lawyers to find out what country they were in um, because she would have made it into that kind of an empire. But no, he had to have a part of it. And he was not a people person. His family did not come from the, the, the pack of um, brightest candles in the bunch. She came from the total opposite. Um, and so we lived all of their lives. They lived all of their lives comfortably because my mother took his pennies and turned them into, you know, she was a brilliant financial whatever she did. <laughs> she would, she bought, she bought IBM stock before the word computer was in the dictionary. People were like, what the hell is that? What are you doing? She bought Exxon after Valdez. What are you doing? Well, you know, crazy like a fox laughing all the way to the bank. And so she had set herself up to live happily ever after on her social security and the dividends. She was never going to touch a stock or whatever else she had. Uh, it was all going to come to us. Um, not even being inherited, we would we would start with the, the base on the day that you know that it came to us, and not have to pay capital gains because she had bought stocks for two cents, you know, a hundred years ago, and now she has five hundred of those stocks, and they all cost you know twenty thousand um, dollars. And then she was ninety one, and she was walking through town as she always did. And um, she was walking to her car. She had jaywalked to her car, which, you know, like, like I said, in Bronxville, if you drove 30, you were, you, you were going to, you were going to kill somebody because that's, that's the way Bronxville worked. I mean, it was, you know, um, and the car next to her did not see her and started pulling out and hit her and knocked her over on her back, broke her leg um, when the, the, the fender and um She, she, after her hospital stay, she was sent to a rehab to, to get better. And the rehab pretty much as far as I'm concerned, killed her because the day after she got out, she had a stroke and they didn't call it a stroke. They called it a TIA because she fixed herself outwardly in X amount of time. But that was the moment that her dementia started. And my mother having been the most brilliant person in the world, let me just tell you, this is not an exaggeration. When she started at Macy's, it was kind of totally accidentally. I won't even go into how she got there, but it was it was crazy. Um, and um, her, who the woman that became her mentor noticed immediately that she was brilliant. 
Um, and she went into her her boss and said, we got to make her an executive. Oh, I don't think so. You know, <laughs> you know, in Macy's in those days, you don't do that. I don't know what they do now, but you start at the bottom and you climb the ladder. And then when you get up to the top of the ladder, they give you an IQ test. And if you pass the IQ test, then you could be an executive. But this woman was so adamant that they said, all right, we'll give her an IQ test. <laughs> she, had, she had skipped three grades in grammar school and graduated valedictorian. You can imagine what happened on the IQ test. And they looked at it and they said, oh, something must have went wrong. And they did it again. And the same results happened. And so they didn't really have much choice to make her, but to make her an executive. And, and this is the brain that became demented that day. And I used to think a bit like a, a neurosurgeon having lost the use of his hands and it broke my heart. Um, she had an aide and it started out being full-time. And then as she got better, she got, you know, it, it wasn't full-time and I became her Sunday caretaker. And, you know, um, it got bad enough that when I would get there, I would have to stand pretty much directly in front of her for a moment, up to a minute maybe, before she realized who I was. And that hurt, but that was my living amends that I got to be, that I got the gift of being able to take care of her. Um, and then in her eighth year, it got too bad and we had to move her down. We moved her into a stepping up kind of facility, assisted living, you know, she'd end up in the nursing area when it got bad. Um, but that was my, that was my, gift of, of, of living amends. And here was the blessing that I got from it. When she, you know, like she was not supposed to go into any, please, please. She, she, she begged my sister who was the business person end of it, not to put her away. Nursing homes for us were the devil's spawn. Um, and so, so, you know, Pam had promised her that. And now here we were pretty much doing that. And it was not a happy thing. Because she had, you know, she had built this nest and she, as I said, was a fantastic interior decorator. Um, and she had built this nest for herself that she was supposed to die in. Um, and so it was with a really, 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 really heavy heart that we put her in this place. And I knew that she, we, we, we both were just so sure she would never come out of her room. She wouldn't eat the food. And she was going to whisk, whisk away in, in a moment. My sister called me that night. She said, well, you know, when I went in the afternoon to visit her, everything was okay. But when I went tonight at dinner, after dinner time, um, I couldn't actually get to talk to her because she was sitting outside her room doing a jigsaw puzzle with some guy. <laughs> what did we know from an aide who was just a caretaker, not a professional in anything, just a caretaker? The difference between that and an assisted living home that knows that you need stimulation in your brain and your body and did concerts, you know, in the, they were singing, you know, to the, you know, the Rat Pack, the, you know, all those, you know, and, and clapping and doing stuff. And I'm telling you, when we, the day that we moved her out, a cousin of mine said, when are you going to go visit her? And I said, never, I never want to see that person again. And I meant it because there was a body that looked like my mother. And that was where all resemblance ended. 
And I did not want to ever have to see that person that was not my mother. So my sister would call me, you know, when she visited every once in a while, because now my mother is no longer capable of two dimensions. So a telephone is not really doesn't work for her. So Pam would call every once in a while. And one day she called after, I don't know, two or three months. And she said, mom's asking, when are you going to come down? <sighs> okay, I'll come down. <laughs> I have a good friend who said, I'll go with you. As a matter of fact, why don't we drive my car? As a matter of fact, why don't you drive my car? Because she has like sciatica and stuff that doesn't let her drive for so long. And yeah, I had to drive her BMW. It was just, it was a, it was a hardship, but I took one for the team. <laughs> and she and I came through the doors well after my sister had gone through. My sister gets up to my mother and she is a good distance away. Um, uh, 40 feet, 50 feet, something like that. And my, my, my sister leans down and says, look, look up and see the present I brought for you. And she looked up from like 50 feet away and she saw me. The tears, both to the hugging, the tears. I actually visited her six more times after that. Um, because she was, she was my mother again, because of what you know, the, the treatment that she got. And P.S., she was, a she was you know, I think there are two kinds of old women, the nasty kind and the, and the nice kind, you know, the sweet little old ladies and the uh, angry at the world kind of people. She was one of those sweet little old ladies. Oh my God, the people there would trip over themselves to get her whatever she wanted. If she wanted nothing but chocolate ice cream for the rest of her life and nothing else, she would have had chocolate ice cream every, every meal and nothing else. Um. So she really came back into herself and it was wonderful. So here is the gift that I got. Um, the cousins were worried that we were not gonna make her 100th birthday. Um, and so we went down in January to visit her. Her birthday was June 26th. And it was a good thing we did because she died three months shy of that. So we visited her for my birthday. Uh, I have a cousin in Long Island whose husband loves to tease the old ladies, but she had given from one of part of her birthday presents, she had given her a white nightgown. Now, my mother, you know, at this point, at this point, she is just not there. She doesn't hear so well. She hears if, she, if, if, if you and I are having a conversation and she says what and we speak up, she can hear, you know. That whole day, I thought it was going to be terrible because in the morning, between naps, she woke up and said, now where am I? <laughs> but all she's ever wanted really was to have her family around her and her family you know, came around her that day. And what a miracle happened. She heard our conversations. We knew it because she zinged these one-liners that had us on the floor. Here's one I remember. We were um, sitting down to lunch and we said, Grace, what do you say after Grace? Amen. You know, I always wondered, why don't they say a women? <laughs> now it's time to go. We know this because my mother says, that's it. I'm done. Time to pack up shop. Let's go. <laughs> so now she's parked looking out the front door, which I am now standing in. And the cousins are all around behind her. And this husband, this, this cousin that loves to tease the old lady, he leans down to her. 
And he says in a very sexy voice, he says, I can't wait to slip under the sheets with you in that sexy white lingerie. To which she replied, oh no, I have to back up. I have to back up, hold right there. A hundred years earlier, she was born old. She was born old a hundred years ago. You know, the human body is vile, evil, disgusting. Don't look, don't touch. We always thought, well, we joked about being immaculately conceived, but I always thought she'd make great Hasidim, you know, the 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 the, the religion that um, puts a hole in the sheet and that's how the, you know, men and women get together. I thought, that, you know, that, that would have been perfect for her, right? Okay, got to remember that. To which she replied, that's not possible. I sleep in the nude. <laughs> I can't say this all these years later without getting hysterical. I mean, I, I, if there was not a, a wall holding me up, I would have been right there onto the floor. We were, that was the last words that I got to hear my mother say. That is the way I get to remember my mother. A mother who I had never been close to. She didn't beat me. She, you know, I, I actually appreciated because you know, I said my father's beatings came out of the blue and I never knew when they were happening. But she would say, if you continue doing this, I'm going to get the wooden spoon. So it was it became a choice. I knew I could either keep being a, a brat and get the wooden spoon or stop being a brat. It was my choice. It was like the only time I ever had a choice in my life. But she so Cindy, uh, <laughs> time to take a break. <laughs> yes. Despite you thinking you wouldn't be able to fill the time, Cindy, it's 20 minutes to the top of the hour. So I think uh, we need to give people a five minute break to, to okay. have a little bio break. And then maybe when we come back, unless you have something that you um, absolutely need to I'll, share I'll right now, we'll have a bit of sharing the, from the, from the, yeah, we'll put, we'll put both of the uh, contribution options into the chat. Um, so, um, Cindy, are you okay if we take some questions or, or some sharing right now? I tell you what, let me, because I just want to go through some of my, what's, what's it like okay. now, you know, what I've learned in a way and then, Perfect. and then I'll stop. Okay. Still Cindy compulsive beater. So. What have I learned in OA? I've learned that as long timers, we used to say 449. All you had to do was say 449. Everybody knew what you were talking about. Now we say, now it's page 417 and people don't always know exactly what that means. What does it mean? It means acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it's because I can find, um, it, it, I'm, no, <laughs> help. I, I know this so well. Uh, when I'm disturbed, it's because I find some person, place, thing, or situation unacceptable. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation is exactly as it's meant to be. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in that door of my mistake. Um, I don't go on from there. But then it also talks about how serenity is directly proportionate to my acceptance. The more acceptance I have, the more serenity I have. It is inversely proportionate to my expectations. Higher my expectations, lower my serenity. So I try not to have expectations. You know, again, we're human, don't have the perfect contract. I never expect myself to be perfect. Perfection, this, the, the, the quest for perfection kills. In this program, it will kill us. 
because it's not possible. And, you know, so we do nothing but set ourselves up to fail. Um, You know, and focusing on the good stuff, focus on the solution Um, and not the problem, because whatever I focus on is going to increase, period, the end. Um, On page 30, um, it says, the, the idea that we are or presently may be able to drink, eat, whatever, like normal people, has to be smashed. I can never, ever, ever, there is no reason, there is no excuse, there is no occurrence. My, my mother died, my, you know, the, the family barbecue, that what I got married, I should be able to have my wedding cake. There can be no time when food is the answer for me. Because if food is the answer, then where is my higher power? It's in the food that I'm eating. That's where it is. Um, If I am grateful for this program, and boy, am I grateful for this program. You know, not many people ever see me in a meeting not looking, you know, happy and smiling. And, you know, when when I put my... Uh, feelings in the chat. I'm so glad to be here. Hi, family. Yay. Good Sunday morning, whatever it is, you know. Um, It's not, that's not who I am all the time, but it's who I am when I come to these meetings, because this is the place where I got a life that I never had thought possible. You know, that life beyond my wildest dreams. I was married to a man who made something close to six figures, and I always worried about money. Today, as I said, I live on food stamps and Medicaid and I don't worry about money. I do not worry that I may one day end up in a refrigerator box on Route 202. If it happens, it'll, it, it'll be okay, whatever it is. Because as long as I ah, remember who my higher power is, and this is who my higher power is, has four traits, loves me unconditionally, always, always wants the best for me, has everything to give me that will allow me to live my life happy, joyous, and free. All I have to do is ask. And always has my back. And when I say that, I always think of the trust fall that many of you may know, like when couples are in therapy or counseling um, and to prove that you have trust in your person that the person in front falls over backwards knowing that the person behind will catch them, okay? That's what I think of when I say that my higher power always has my back. If I don't believe with every fiber of my being that that will always be, I ain't going over backwards. I am not cracking my head against the floor, i.e. surrendering to this program, working my program, working my steps, using my tools. If I don't believe that, So that's why working on, you know, always working on developing that faith in all of those things and constantly being in contact and having that gratitude that he is in my life is the most important thing to me without fail. 
How many times in 30 some years have I heard people say abstinence is the most important thing without fail? I don't have a snowball's chance in hell of being abstinent today if I don't have that spiritual background. If I don't have my higher power carrying me every moment that I need to be carried, walking hand in hand when I don't need carrying, you know, I, I, I can't do it, you know? Um, and so that, so I have so much gratitude for this program. And if I have gratitude for this program, it can only be translated into service. I cannot keep this program that has given me a life, never mind saved my life, has given me a life if I don't let it go. If it doesn't go in one side and out the other, like a, a flowing brook, you know, a brook, the babbling brook, it's lovely, you know, as long as it keeps babbling. But if some beaver comes and dams it up over here and the water ends up just sitting there forever, what's going to happen? Algae death, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to die. And that's the way I think of my program. It has to go in and, and come out. I have to give service, which is why I'm here. <laughs> and and P.S., you know, that spirituality that I work on so hard, it is the way that I'm speaking in front of you for an hour and some when I thought that I had said yes to speaking for 15, 20 minutes <laughs> and not having, you know, like I had an immediate heart attack. You know, I, I will say that whenever I got that email, I was like, okay, overwhelmed. Whoops, wait, breathing. <laughs> right. And then I said, you know what, whatever's going to happen is going to be fine because hello, you know, I asked God to sp spread the message, you know, to you through my mouth. And I made a couple of bullets in case my mouth stopped working. It worked out pretty well, I think. Whatever it was that I said, I have no idea. Um, here are some, just a couple of um, uh, catchphrases, slogans. Compare and despair. Anytime I try to compare myself to anybody else, I don't care who they are. It, it's, it's, you know, as I said, I'm going to end up on the short, short end of the stick. So, you know, I have a sponsee who keeps comparing herself. Oh, you do such a good, you know what? <laughs> You do good things in other ways too. We all have our share. Say again. You unlock your device first. Okay. <laughs> um, unmuted. I just muted them. Okay. Okay. Um, pause. It came close. To, well, I don't think it came close, but somebody wanted, some people wanted it to be a, uh, what, 10th tool. Uh, we voted it down. Um, but pause is really important. Um, restraint of pen and tongue. You know, I just have to stop and think before I speak um, or before I act or before I put something in my mouth that I, you know, that's not on my food plan. It, it does wonders. It does wonders to just learn to slow down and not jump in, you know, right away. Remember, three quarters Sicilian. I'm a jumper, <laughs> but I, you know, I've practiced it for years and I'm getting better at it. And the last one is, lo I love this one. Life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. Because life is always going to, I mean, we, you know, there's nobody here that can say this country is in great shape. Everybody is, life is always going to be throwing curveballs at us. And sometimes they're, you know, those curveballs are cannonballs but we can get through every one of them as long as we have that backup called HP and we make sure that we make that connection. 
I love that though. Not about waiting for the storm to pass. Learning to dance in the rain. And that's it. I'm done. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Cindy. This has been such a wonderful session. Um, and now you can lead marathons and retreats because you know you can <laughs> for longer than 15 minutes. Um, oh yeah, there's something to read. There's always something to read. Um, this is the time to ask questions or um, if you wanna share, uh, we ask that you raise your hand to do so. There are two ways to raise your hand depending what version of Zoom you have. Uh, older versions of Zoom at the bottom of your screen is the participants tab. Click on this tab and it'll open up to a list of names. At the bottom of this list, you will see the raise hand, raise your hand button. So you can click on that. Uh, and then I think you have you can take it down after. Uh, in an updated, more updated versions of Zoom, at the bottom of your screen is the reactions tab. Uh, click on this and you'll see the raise hand button as well. And um, a reminder that this meeting is being recorded. We will call on you using the name you have given. So if you're uncomfortable with your name being on the recording, please change your name to protect your anonymity. By sharing or asking a question, you consent to be recorded and having the recording posted on the OA website. So the floor is open. Carolyn has her hand up. Hi, I'm Carolyn. I'm a compulsive reader. I just want to say I really liked your presentation, Cindy. Uh, I came from a very ha unhappy uh, upbringing. Doesn't sound like it's as extreme as yours, but um, it makes me feel a lot of hope to see that you're really uh, vibrant and enjoying life. And um, I just wanted to ask you, uh, I didn't catch all your stuff when you were saying the higher power, the four qualities of your higher power, if you could repeat it more slowly. And then also um, what you do, like, do you do any daily or like regular spiritual practices to stay in touch with your higher power? Thank you. Thanks. Um, okay. Four traits. Loves me unconditionally. Always wants the best for me. Has Everything I will ever need to live my, to accept my life on my life's terms, actually, is, is the way it goes, which creates happy, joyous freedom. Has everything I'll ever need to accept my life on my life's terms. And always, always has my back. Um, what do I do on a daily basis? I, I, I do have a bit of a routine. It's not nearly the, uh, as big of a routine as many people do, but more than my morning, and there is no evening routine. Evening is when I fall asleep. <laughs> I, 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 I tell my cat who's on my lap, it's time to get up and go to bed now. <laughs> um, but it is, it is all day long. Like I said, all day long, I, I find myself saying, thank you, God, whenever. And it, I've gotten good at it. And every single time I say that, that's my connection. That's my strengthening my connection to my higher power because it reminds me that God has done for me what I could never do alone. You know, and as I've said, has put me in the right place at the right time for the right thing to happen all my life. 
Thank you. Yes, Sherry. Uh, thanks so much, Cindy. Really appreciate everything that you shared. Um, two things. Well, actually, could you please repeat also, I really like the thing about the storm. Um, would you mind repeating that one again? Didn't write it down fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> life is about, no. <laughs> life is about, life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. It is about learning to dance in the rain. It is about learning to dance in the rain. Awesome. Um, thank you so much for that. Also, I just wanted to thank you for way back in your early story, talking about um, sort of that, that darkness of in your father and knowing that that wasn't him. Uh, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody describe that before, um, because that's exactly what um, my dad was and I experienced it uh, and recognized it um, sometimes as an adult and experienced where I knew when he like instantly got angry about something that this was it was like there was a different person that showed up it was very very odd and my, my father had a, an unbelievable amount of trauma as a child so I'm sure there's all sorts of psychological things there but it was just really interesting to hear somebody share that because I don't think I've ever heard that 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 happens <laughs> so thank you for that um, and then also when you're talking about um, your higher power and is, is there like things around your food? Because I know um, for me as sort of was, I think you, you shared or alluded to is that, yeah, it's not about the food um, because if the food is the problem, then I'm always looking for the food to be the solution. I'm always looking to manipulate my food. Um, and so uh, if I am turning to my higher power and it is around my food, is there things that you do in that moment of pause? Is there, if you start to feel the compulsion or before you eat, or are there things that you do with your God that helps you directly with your food? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I suppose that the things that I do with higher power aren't really done on a, a conscious level so much as on a conscious level. And this is what I learned to do when I was first putting the food down. Um, oh, and I never finished a piece of story. I'll, I'll finish. Um, I learned, I learned to, I learned to put a skull and crossbones as in the poison on foods that weren't mine. So I'd be at a party and I'd see the, you know, the dessert table and it, it just was full of poison labels. It's poison. If you eat it, it's fine. If I eat it, it's going to kill me. So why would I want to do that? You know? Um, so I just, you know, when, whenever I see, you know, the Halloween candy or the whatever it is, you know, it's just, this is poison. If you eat it, you will poison yourself. So uh, uh, um, going back to the story about how I didn't know how long my, um, my abstinence had been, and then I broke my abstinence. That's where I, I forgot I, I left off. Um, and that I was ashamed to tell people. 
And then I was on a phone call with someone that I I, I kind of knew, but didn't know very well. And I I decided, no, I actually I didn't know her. She had she just called me from a meeting, whatever. And I I chose her to come clean with. And she said to me, Who are you? Of all of these thousands and thousands of human beings without the perfect contract, basically is what she said. To be the one person that has a perfect group plan, perfect absence. Who am I? Oh, I'm someone who doesn't have any humility because I'm supposed to be the perfect person, right? I am my higher power. Oops. So that's what got me to admit to, you know, my meetings. And here's the gift that I got because of it. My my new abstinent date, I hope I never break my abstinence again because it's a date that I will never, ever, ever be able to forget because it's nothing but once. One, 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 one. January 11th, 2011. <laughs> never have a problem. Now I know. <laughs> Thanks. Anyone else? Or if you have another question, go ahead. Oh, are you wanting to unmute, Carolyn? Oh, hi, Carolyn again. Um, yeah, I was just kind of going back and forth with my phone and the computer. But I was wondering, um, did you put your contact information like in the uh, chat or uh, email or something? Um, my my email address is in there. Should it be put again so that anybody uh, who did Yeah, I switched around and when you switch around, it doesn't, yeah, it's only the it. most recent. I'll take care of it for you right now. Thank you. Thanks very and much. The, and the reason I, I'm only giving you my email address is because, um, as I might have mentioned before, you know, I, I go to bed really early on the days I go to the gym. My friend says, oh, you're going to the gym tonight? Yeah, I, I get up at 1.15. I will be getting up at 1.15 tomorrow. So, and that is uh, 10.15 tonight for you. <laughs> 10.30 tonight, I will be on my way to the gym. <laughs> so yeah, you don't get to call me. And I don't have a, well, I have a cell phone. I just don't use it. My middle name is Techno Dinosaur. It lives on my night table and I check messages when I get into bed. <laughs> so yeah, you've got my email address there now. Anyone else next? Swim Never mind. <laughs> it was an old commercial. Don't ask. <laughs> Question or if you just want to share. No takers. My name is Audrey. I'm a food addict. Hi, everybody. Um, Cindy, when you said that your mind is like a sieve, I say that all the time. And um, when you said it, I was reminded of something that I've heard my sponsor say. Um, remember, we don't remember. <laughs> Just wanted to say that. Thank you. You know, my chiropractor said to me recently, and this is just a little part of it, he says, Getting old, I'm fine with that. It's the it's the symptoms, it's the results that suck. <laughs> yeah. Cassie, did you have your hand up? Hi, everybody. Cassie, compulsive eater. 
I just want to say thank you, Cindy, for coming here and sharing with us. Very, very nice. Loved it. Just wanted to say thank you. I don't really have anything else. Um, very happy you could come in and be with us today. Thank you. You know, I have to say, three years of Zoom, I don't know that I can say, you know, when I hear say somebody say, my name is Cassie, I'm a compulsive eater. I, I, you know, what do we always say? Hi, Cassie, right? No, this is what I do. I can just see myself. And even here, I, 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 I'm not muted. I could always say, when, when I hear you say who you are, I could say, hi, Sherry, hi, Jay. But no, this is what you do. <laughs> I do it in work meetings too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm oh, looking up because there's a bee that's found its way into my house for some reason. I guess he's getting out of the rain. Um, there, there aren't a lot of, um, of these recordings that I've gone back and listened to when I've been attending, but yours is one I am going to go back and listen to because there are so many pearls of wisdom in there or diamonds or rubies or whatever they are. And um, I need to hear that message. I really do. So thank you. So it worked. Yeah. It's funny because people come up to me after meetings and they like slobber all over me. Oh, thank you. So I have no idea what I said. That's it. <laughs> Look up there. That's it. You can thank him. <laughs> you can go back and listen. You'll hear what you said. <laughs> yeah, really. Don't be shy if anyone wants to share or ask a question. Carolyn's hand is up again. Oh. Hi, not to be a groupie or anything, but um, yeah, I just really appreciate your way of talking. It's just like, I love all the stories you're telling and it just makes me feel like I'm talking to a friend. And so I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Carolyn. You know, one of the promises on page 83 of the big book, which are the promises that come after the ninth step. And there are so many promises that come after each of the other steps. But one of those promises is that we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. And it is it, like all the promises, it's crazy how the promises have come true for me, but I do not regret. I do not have a regret for anything that, 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 that I lived through in my life, because if I didn't, I wouldn't be me. And I, I like me. <laughs> Is that crazy or what? I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> my name is still Audrey and I'm still a food addict. Um, during your share, you spoke about page 417, Dr. Paul O's story. What was it about? Was I think you said glasses? Oh, the magic magnifying glasses. Magic magnifying glasses. Okay. Um, later. Um, because he says, um, he says, he talks about Max, his wife. He said, when, when we were first married or before we were married, um, I, saw, I saw things in her that people didn't see. I saw her, her, her beauty and her yada, yada, yada. Um, and that's what increased, you know, that's what increased for me. 
but where does it over the years as I thought about her her good well yeah her good qualities grew and grew we married and all these qualities became more and more apparent to me and we were happier and happier but then as I drank more and more the alcohol seemed to affect my vision instead of continuing to see what's good about my wife I began to see her defects and the more I focused my mind on her defects by the way this is page 418 um, more I focused my mind on her defects, the more they grew and multiplied. Every defect I pointed out to her became greater and greater. Each time I told her she was a nothing, she receded a little more into nowhere. And that sends shivers up my spine all the time. So what So what they were saying was, how is it only, oh, because it's, okay. Um, so what they were saying was, you know, you have these these magic magnifying glasses and, you know, rather than like the, you know, Midas touch where everything turns to gold, when I put these glasses on, I see your defects and they grow. But I have, he was told, I have these glasses on backwards. What I need to change is not you, but me and my attitudes. You're fine the way you are. You're the way you're supposed to be. Yes, you know, I, I knew that you were wonderful and beautiful and I loved you and we were happy and happy. You're not, you know, I mean, you didn't change into some little nowhere nothingness, did you? No, I just started drinking and that's what, what I focused on. The more I focus on the problem, the more the problem increases. But the more I focus on the solution, the more the solution increases. That is the best story. If you read nothing else in the big book after the four, first 164 pages, that's the story to read. Um, because it is so, it is it, it is just so much the, and, and, and talk about a sense of humor. You know, I wasn't surprised when that door, uh, you know, in the crazy ward closed. I just was surprised that it was me behind the bars. I thought it was Max that was supposed to be. And what the hell is this making, you know, leather, working with leather? And, you know, I, like, I am a freaking physician. I went to medical school. What am I doing trying to sew pieces of leather together? What is the matter with you guys? <laughs> well, uh, I hadn't been in the program for very long before I made a beautiful pair of moccasins, which I wore every day for the next seven years, he says. And when they were just too gone to, to keep wearing, my wife had them bronzed for me. <laughs> And there they are, just like that HJF in my in, in my email address. There they are. Every day I look at them and I remember who I was and who I could get to be if I just make the wrong choices, but who I can be, who I've become, and who I can continue to be as long as I keep making the right choices. He's got a great sense of humor, though. They they left the they left the the he says. Uh, when they told me that I, I, you know, should go into a, a hospital, he said, um, <clears throat> I thought, you know what, I should, I should consult, I need a second opinion. And, you know, I think mine is the best, you know, second opinion I could get. So I sat down with myself <laughs> and I decided I had a brain tumor and I'm going to die and everybody's going to be really miserable. <laughs> okay, that's it. Any last gems you'd like to share with us, Cindy? Oh, Carolyn has her hand up again. We should just leave you unmuted, Carolyn. No problem. <laughs> yeah, I promise not to jump up and down naked or anything. Yeah, I just liked <laughs> it. I don't know if you mentioned it, but um, on the 420 on that 
it's what you were talking about the my serenity is inversely proportional to my expectations i must keep my magic magnifying mind on my acceptance and off my expectations for my serenity is directly proportional to my level of acceptance so i just thought it was great because you'd mentioned that previously too thank you yeah i haven't read that too much right <laughs> you know but if you think about it's kind of like i was going to say it's kind of like math but math and i never um although I am a numbers person, that's why I became what, whatever, you know, it, it's kind of like a nice, easy um, um, formula. Higher my expectations, lower my serenity. Higher my acceptance, higher my serenity. Hey, do I want serenity? Sure. Lower the expectations, raise the serenity because they're inversely proportionate and, and directly proportionate. And it's just a nice, simple formula, simple. Not easy. Sure, just stop expecting my my ex, you know, uh, to, you know, my husband, my kids, my boss, my what. Just stop accepting. To start expecting them to be people that they've never been before. No problem. <laughs> you know, what are you going to get? What are you going to get when you don't accept my boss to be, you know, you don't accept him for being the person he is? What are you going to get? Frustrated. You know, resentments. That's what sits in my head and, and takes up space rent-free and sends me to the refrigerator eventually. I gotta get my glasses fixed. <clears throat> <laughs> so any Unless Carolyn's putting up her hand again, or any other words? <laughs> any other last words, Cindy, for us? I think I'm, I'm fucked out. Well, you did great. Who knew? It Who talked knew? for two and a half hours, eh? <laughs> so, in closing, thank you, Cindy, for being our speaker today. It was wonderful to have you with us. And we appreciate you sharing your experience, strength, and hope while giving service to the OA program. Together, we get better. The opinions expressed here today are those of the individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Please remember to honor our commitment to each other's anonymity, take the stories, but leave the names behind. OA Rise's goal is twofold. One goal is to provide speaker meetings and recordings to support OA members. The second goal is to support the World Service Office. We will post the seventh tradition contribution information one more time in the chat. Please give what you are able so that we can continue, can continue to keep OA Rise going. And lastly, OA Rise is always looking for members to do service. We are desperate for people to do service um, because we want to keep these meetings going. We are looking for members to be speakers or perhaps provide speaker suggestions, although I think we've got all our speakers for the remainder of the year. Um, looking for members to be speakers, as well as members who would be interested in joining our little committee. We also need volunteers who would occasionally be available to help us with Zoom during the meeting. If you're willing to be of service, please send a message to one of the co-hosts. There is a link uh, on our webpage uh, that you can just click on and send a, a quick message saying you're interested and one of us will get back to you. Thank you everyone for being with us today. After we close the meeting, we'll open up the chat for a short period of time and you can unmute yourselves if you'd like to connect with others. Please join us for another wonderful share of experience, strength and hope at our next speaker meeting on October 16th.
where our topic will be, what is emotional sobriety and how can it further my recovery? We hope to see you all there. After a moment of silence, we will close with the OA promise. I will speak it aloud and invite those of you who wish to join me silently. I think other people should speak it aloud because I'll probably mess it up. Thank you. And it's in the chat. In the chat. Awesome. There we go. So the OA promise. I put my hand in yours. yours. And together together we can can do what we could never do do alone. No longer is there there a sense of hopelessness. hopelessness. No No longer longer must we each depend depend upon our our own steady willpower. willpower. We are all together together now, now, reaching reaching out our hands for power and strength strength greater than than ours. And as we join join hands, we find find love love and understanding beyond Beyond our wildest dreams. I'm sorry, Thank I have you. to do that. I just, it gives me goosebumps. I get goosebumps when I hear that we're going to say it at the end of a meeting. <laughs> I love that so much. It's just wonderful. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you for, so much. Thank you, Cindy. And thanks for Carolyn and Patricia and Reva yes. hanging out with us. Cool meeting. Good. Well, spread the gonna, word. Yeah, I'm, I've been, mm-hmm. uh, and I expected people.